Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, welcome to In The Pink, sponsored by Bose. Stay home, stay healthy, stay connected. Let's... um. Yeah, let's talk about that transition then. You, you see, you were shooting at a very high level and now you find yourself racing cars. How, how did that happen? I was a mechanic in the garage. I had gone to my city and guild certificate in Glasgow uh, uh, and passed my test there. And we're, there was a very rich young man in Glasgow whose family, not unusual by the way, there was a single a boy and an only family, only child in the family, and he was was a very rich family, and the trustees would not allow him to drive. He had very nice, expensive cars, but he wasn't allowed to race. He could drive, but wouldn't allow to race. Our garage, because my brother's success as a racing driver was quite well known, and I was the mechanic in the garage, and he brought his cars down, and I prepared them for it other people to drive the cars and one time one of the boys bent his car a bit and I had to repair it and as a reward he said why don't you do a wee event well it was a sprint somewhere called Heathfield in Ayrshire near Turnbury and Presswick and I didn't win the race but I was I was second uh, and he said oh you better have another go and I won the next race but then I couldn't afford, it was costing, and, and, and I was married, and I had had her, you know, Paul at that time. And I, I turned the rest of the drives down because I thought it was too dangerous. And I, can't, I couldn't afford, it cost 50 pounds a day for the insurance. And I didn't have 50 pounds. I mean, I didn't have 50 pounds uh, in the bank or anywhere else for that matter. And he said, oh, well, look, I'll, I'll do the insurance if you'll drive the car. And, of course, a courier cost then saw me, because I was only racing in Scotland to begin with, really. And then they picked me up. And, of course, I went down south, Goodwoods, Netherton, Silverstone. You know, there's Roxton everywhere. With a courier cost, driving sports cars. And I was winning a lot. And then Ken Tittle spotted me. And uh, actually, I think it was the manager of the Goodwood Test uh, Racetrack who said to Ken, if you're looking for a new driver, you should look after this, look at this guy, because he's just got the lap record in sports cars in Goodwood. 
for a curie, of course it was, and a, a Cooper monocle. And uh, he picked me up. I went down to Goodwood, did the test, got the drive. My first drive was Snetterton, and I won it in the rain by a big margin. So we said, oh, that's it's great. And that's what started it. And so how old were you then? Uh, I was 23 when I got married. Um, uh, I went with Ken in 64, 1964. So I was born in 39. You, you work that out. I'm the dyslexic. <laughs> Doesn't mean you're bad at maths as well. Come on. Uh, so 25. So um, I'm, uh, do you know, you, you know that race that you said that you came second in Scotland? You do know that the winner has been bragging ever since that he beat a three-time world champion. Absolutely. And he had every right to. <laughs> He's a lovely man. He's a farmer in the north of England, in, in Newcastle somewhere. Amazing. Um, why do you think it is that there is such a rich history of motorsport in Scotland? You've produced some great drivers through the decades. We have an inferiority complex against you English folk. <laughs> and we try harder. <laughs> The roads are narrow and twisty and turny and ups and downs. And the borders of Scotland where Jim Clark started was that kind of road and where I drove all the cars from the garage and everything like that were all twisty, difficult roads. And I think that had a lot to do with it, really. And I think the other thing is that we're such a small country and I think still think we've got an inferiority complex in the country because we, when I went down south to drive, everybody was so well-dressed and the cars were immaculate and they had a mechanic and they were, the whole thing, they just had money and we had no money. So therefore, you think, Jesus, I'm going to have to, you know, how do I, I've got to win. So we won. And when you did that, it was, and I think that's the Scottish thing. I think it's a very Scottish thing. I think we have an inferiority complex and, and we therefore try harder. Think of all the great bankers. So William Purvis, one of the greatest bankers in the world, chairman of HSBC that was really developed by him and its biggest, uh, all sorts of people. The man who created the American Navy was Scottish. Um, the man who created television was Scottish. There's a whole bunch of Scottish people. I think they try harder because they're in the back, the back room sort of thing. And therefore, when they go down south, they've got to prove themselves because they don't want to go back with their, you know, hands behind their back. And I know I felt like that. Yeah, it's an interesting theory. Um, another bit of interesting psychology, I think, with you is this juxtaposition between someone who, who cares about safety and somebody who is a racing driver. And, you know, there's the often simplistic assumption that racing drivers are brash and a bit reckless and thrill seekers. And it, it doesn't feel to me that you've ever been a thrill seeker, but you are somehow able to compartmentalise and almost shut away the jeopardy of what you did for a living um, and still deliver at the highest level. Have you ever taken time now, particularly since, you know, you retired back in, what, 73? You were, you were relatively young when you retired, but have you ever, had, have you ever sort of self-analyzed 
your approach to the sport? I think uh, I think the determination issue to succeed, whether it was in my shooting, because I was no good at school, and that was your that was your main activity was school in those days to grow up, and I failed in that. And I found something in my shooting that I could actually do well. So I put more into my shooting almost than I did into my racing because it was my first experience of competition, proper competition. There was no competition at school. Uh, I played football quite well at school, but that, that was, no, it's the classroom. So I think in, in things like that, when I went motor racing, I thought, oh gosh, that's a big thing to do that. So therefore I've got to try harder. And I recognized that I needed the best team and the best mechanics. So I never drove, hardly ever did I drive anything but the best packages. A Curia course, a Scottish team, when I started to drive for them, they had already had a huge success. They had won Le Mans twice as private entrance. So their mechanics were really good. So I went in there and was looked after by what I thought some of the best mechanics in the world. So therefore I could get a car that I could have total confidence in. And you know, I didn't have any wheels fall off because they were the best guys. Uh, and David Murray, who was le patron of the Curia course, he only, he had a Cooper Monaco. That was like, it was built like the Eiffel Tower, that thing. It was, you know, it was sort of stood for years. I wrote it off, um, but but it, it it what I mean is that when I got into that car, I was driving a real good car, so I had to raise my game, so to speak. And I think going back to the saying what I said, I was desperate to win, and uh, and put more into it maybe, and and I, and and because I was winning, I therefore kept, you know, I drove for. Uh, checkered flag racing in, in Lotus Elans. But that meant I was racing against the, the Ron Harris Lotus Elans with Jim Clark and Peter Arundel. So I had to be as fast as them. So in each of the carriage, you know, they were Formula One drivers. I was a little sports car driver. But to be racing against somebody like Jim Clark or, or, or any of the other drivers we, we were there at that time, it drives you, but if you're choosing the best teams with the best cars, I drove for John Coombs. He was one of the great entrants. Like Sterling Moss wanted to, to be with Rob Walker. These kind of alignments help you because they always have the best people behind them, the mechanics usually. Ken Tyrrell, nobody, no better example than that. Three of the mechanics come to this room that I'm in now almost every year. They, I would not be here today if I wasn't for them. I didn't have wheels to fall off. So I, that I, gave my cars were just better repaired. So that gave you a confidence to compete. That gave you a confidence to push yourself. But you've already told us that Helen counted 57 deaths of friends of yours. So you can't... Um, you can't have felt impervious to that threat. So how did you reconcile those two elements of your life? The fact that you were acutely aware of the danger, but you were still able to race. 
Uh, I seldom overdrove. Um, most people overdrive. I learned not to overdrive from Jim Clark, who I think was the second best racing driver ever in the world. I think Juan Manuel Fangio was the best, and I think Jim Clark was second best, ahead of Schumacher, ahead of Senna or Prost, or Prost and Senna in my case, I think. Um, and I learned so much from him, and I saw how gentle he was with a car, and how he coaxed a car into doing things, rather than bullying a car to do it. And a lot of the drivers bully cars, and cars don't like it. Yeah. Uh, cars are like humans. If you treat them nicely, uh, I sometimes make the opinion of respectfully to do with the young ladies. If you treat them nicely, they much prefer it. Um, and, and a racing car is exactly the same. I learned that if you're doing 150 mile an hour, 180 mile an hour, and you're breaking a hammer at some fancy corner, you, 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 to begin with, when you're a racing, there was three parts of the corner, the braking, the apex, and the exit. I learned there was eight parts of the corner. Because when you get towards the corner, the first thing you do is take off your gas pedal. The car immediately gets upset. So take your gas pedal off gently, even at that speed. In a millisecond, it can be done gently rather than just taking it off. The same with the brake. The same with the gear shift, the same with the steering wheel, and the same with the exit. So instead of having three things, you get eight things. And I learned to do that, and eight things out of one corner. Now, there's usually 14 to 16 corners per lap. So to learn that was what I did, but I always following somebody who I thought and still believe was one of the greatest drivers that's ever lived. You know, I never raced against Sterling Moss, but I did against Jim Clark, I did against a whole lot of other people. And for me, I learned so much coming through the ranks because I was going with Ecuria course, that was a good team. And then I got to be with Ken Tyrrell in Formula 3. And then I got to BRM with Graham Hill. And then I got to the Matra and then we won world championships. So. It was because I was always, I was lucky enough to choose the best people to go to bed with. And let's talk a bit more about Jim Clark, because you were actually flatmates, weren't you? And yeah, we had, yeah. You must have had a good few John, there was a racing driver called John Whitmore, who was a great guy. He was from an aristocratic family. And anyway, he had, a, he, had he drove Cortinas really well and lots of other things, GT40s. But he was he was a rich young man. He had a lovely apartment um, just off Hyde Park. Um, and we called it the Scottish Embassy because he <laughs> gave it to us to, for Jimmy and I to be whenever we were in London or England. We, we stayed at, at, you know, at the, uh, the Scottish Embassy. Um, and of course, Jimmy was never married. And of course, he had a long line of girlfriends. You girls try to take advantage of racing drivers all the time. And, uh, Do not include uh, me in that, okay? Not in that <laughs> list. <laughs> uh, so it was quite a busy place for a while. <laughs> Helen and I, of course, went down there a lot, and she was with me a lot. And we, Jim Clark was the 
the worst possible decision maker I've ever known in my whole life. He, he, he wouldn't know which restaurant to go to or what cinema to go to. And before he made up his mind, they were all closed. Uh, but he, on the track, he was unbelievable. But I find that was so unbelievable. interesting because, because you, could, you could say that about a few on the grid now. I, I, I won't name them, but there's a couple that I've seen away from the track completely unable to make a decision. And yet visor goes down and they go for gaps that don't even exist. What is that about? Is it like an alter ego? When the violence go, when the, 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 the uh, visor goes down, the lights go out uh, and they become different people. You know, there's no emotion. You, you do things in a different way. I learned to remove emotion, for example, um, when driving a racing car. And, you know, I, I think, I don't know what it is, but uh, that's the way it was. And, you know, Jim Clark was a very indecisive man. Uh, I mean, really, uh, I mean, he never got married and he had a very long time girlfriend and he had a few other young ladies who, of course, tried to take advantage of him. Um, so, so therefore, it was, it, it, they were happy days. <laughs> There's some joy in indecision, maybe. I don't know. Thanks so much for listening to In The Pink. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast you've listened to so far. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Check out our Instagram page at in underscore the underscore pink. And you get all the details there about how you can win some of those Bose noise cancelling headphones. And join the community. We're all talking about the various guests that we've had on the podcast and who we'd like to see and hear in the next few weeks. So thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Stay healthy. Stay home. Stay connected with Bose. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.